are in the parking lot. I think we'll finish up the Bade Karata Sutta. A segment that needs more discussion. To get back into the spirit, um, I don't think it's working. Is it working? Can you hear me back there? Oh. Is that Vicky again? Hearing me again. Um, in a number of ways, we've been uh, looking at how attachment to the past, to the future. Um, that is the things going on in the uh, things that come up in consciousness from the past and imaginings of the future. Uh, the Buddha gives this the meaning of living with somebody, not living alone, or it's not being in solitude. So it's not literally the number of persons that are near you, whether you're alone in a forest or a house, but the quality of the mind. And the sufferings or the, that we've experienced in the past, which have left seeds in our consciousness and which revisit us in the present, are cured in the present. That is, the wounds that we've experienced in the, in the, in the past when they appear, they appear in the present. There's only the present. It's very important to understand that basic notion. So all we have is right now, constantly. And it's through the practice of mindfulness and understanding that what appears in the present is seen deeply, seen through, understood and let go of. And so the healing of the past takes place in the present. The healing of the future, taking care of the future, takes care of in the present is taken care of in the present as well. A very small, ordinary, mundane example. You have a job interview uh, tomorrow morning, and you try to go to sleep, but you're so excited about it either worried or rehearsing all the things you're going to do and say, speculating, that you can't sleep. If you can see that what's happening is that it's the future, that as you have an imagining about what will happen tomorrow, but you're experiencing that in the present, and if you apply the practice to it in the present, what can happen is you can see that what it is is just an imagining of the future. In fact, the fact that, in fact, not seeing that, which keeps you awake, actually uh, contributes to your a lower quality of the the way your your behavior will be the next day because you'll be more tired. Whereas if we can see through it, we can see, oh, this is the future. This is my imagination. 
about what will happen tomorrow at work, at this uh, job interview. If there's an ability to let go of it, with or without the breathing helping us, who's seeing it, just just seeing exactly what it is, the rest that's then possible, in other words, a good night's rest, actually is a much better contribution to the future. We're taking care of the future by taking care of the present. That's one obvious way. I think we ought to get right into the... uh, There's just one part that I haven't really said too much about. We have, in a way, but the the specific wording is important and a, a fair amount of explanation might be needed a bit anyway. This is how the sutta closes. Because what is meant by being swept away by the present? Do you recall we talked about that a bit on the first time? What is meant by being swept away by the present? When someone does not study or learn anything about the awakened one or the teachings of love and understanding or the community that lives in harmony and awareness, when that person knows nothing about the noble teachers and their teachings and does not practice these teachings and thinks, this body is myself. I am this body. These feelings are myself. I am these feelings. This perception is myself. I am this perception. This mental factor is myself. I am this mental factor, or sometimes called mental formation. This consciousness is myself. I am this consciousness. Then that person is being swept away by the present. Because what is meant by not being swept away by the present? When someone studies and learns about the awakened one, the teachings of love and understanding, and the community that lives in harmony and awareness, when that person knows about noble teachers and their teachings, practices these teachings, and does not think, this body is myself, I am this body. These feelings are myself, I am these feelings. This perception is myself, I am this perception. This mental factor or mental formation is myself, I am this mental formation. This consciousness is myself, I am this consciousness. Then that person is not being swept away by the present because I have presented the outline and the detailed explanation of knowing true solitude. Thus the Buddha taught and the bhikkhus were delighted to put his teachings into practice. What he's referring to here are the five khanda. Many of you have seen it in Sanskrit as the five skandhas. And this really gets at the essence of the Buddha's teaching. And I'll try in a small way to make it a little clearer what this, what this is pointing at. I think perhaps I should just go through the khandas briefly and then uh, we'll relate it to this teaching. The first khanda is the body. 
and that's uh, the physical entity or rupa as it's called in Pali and one of the connotations or some of the meanings of rupa are fragile, easily broken and so you see that's one notion about the body already it's something that's fragile, easily broken it's not stable and probably certainly everyone in this room we all have bodies and we know what that means very hard to get the body to ever be just right, just the way you want it. It's always too much of something or too little of something. <coughs> then feelings, we now move from uh, the body to the mind. The four nama, uh, four nama khandas. Vedana and this has to do with the experience that we're undergoing from moment to moment as we take in life through the sense doors of things being pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral incessantly. Just that chirp, I just heard it, it was pleasant. A little laugh, that was pleasant. smiling at what I said, very pleasant. (laughs) Looking at me sternly or in some way that I can't figure out, not so pleasant. Comes into the eye, see it. So it's a very, it's an immediate thing. It's within a very brief, it's not something you figure out. And it's happening uh, through the six sense doors. The mind is the six sense door in the Buddhist teaching. Then there's sanya, which is translated as perception. Uh, it's a tricky one. Uh, perception is in a special way. It's sometimes also called memory. It's perception in the sense of it's that in us which regards things as being this or that. It's very important. It's in a sense what it's doing is making distinct making distinctions all day long and uh, uh, labeling things. It's how we distinguish. We know that, uh, oh, that's a red light. That means uh, stop, green light, go. We recognize people. Uh, Just the whole world of familiar forms and sounds and so forth has to do with all these mental notes mental uh, labels that we put on things, calling them this, that, and the other. So it's the way we we regard things. It's absolutely essential. It helps us distinguish one thing from another. And then sankhara, or mental formations, translated in many ways as conditionings, or conditioner, or conditions, or thoughts, sometimes volitions. Uh, A good one, I think, for our purposes here tonight is concoctions. It has to do with thought, but it's the many things the mind makes up, conceptualizes, also incessantly, endlessly thinking about things. And then consciousness is the experience through the sense doors, just the taking in through the the six senses, the, the, the consciousness hearing consciousness and uh, the consciousness of the body and so forth. 
And this is a, just one of any number of schemes that can be used to help us gain a sense of the way things are. It's a way of talking about our life, the whole mind-body process, the five khandhas. Um, sometimes you hear in Buddhist teachings that birth is suffering. Probably you've heard that. And on one level, the meaning is just the sheer act of being born is painful. Just coming out of the womb. On the other is that it's to be born, that is for a body to emerge, means you're presenting yourself now for the suffering that's to come. If you're not here with a body, you're not going to be suffering. And so to be born is suffering. But there's another meaning, a more subtle meaning of that, uh, and this really gets closer to the heart of what's distinctive about the Buddhist teaching, about, about Dharma. The birth that is meant here, in addition to what I just mentioned, the, the literal and obvious birth, is the birth of self, the birth of me and mine. And so what the Buddha is saying is every time me and mine is born, you're setting yourself up for suffering. And me and mine is born countless times in a day, coming and going. And happiness is the degree to which we aren't attached, the degree to which we don't give birth to me and mine in regard to these five khandhas. Or if we do, if me and mine arises in regard to something that's happening in our life, it's accompanied by mindfulness mindfulness and discernment and therefore it's not dangerous that is if there's no mindfulness or very little and no understanding then we're living our life under the influence of ignorance okay let's um, go to the body I hope I can make this a, a bit more clear When it says here, this body is myself, I am this body. Uh, and that's how we drown in the present, how we get lost in the present. We have this physical form, that's clear. We have a nervous system and so forth. And it's uh, used as the ground, as the basis for developing this very convincing sense that there is a self. Now, here, I know that there's a fair amount of confusion when, we, when you hear the term not-self. It doesn't mean that nothing exists, that there's nothing there. What it means is that the self exists, but it doesn't exist in quite the way in which we think it does. So you could use a term like selfing, or as every, in a moment... When, a me, when me and mine arises and is born, a moment of selfing has happened. And there's a convincing sense that a solid entity, namely me, exists, which has a core, which is independent, which is enduring, which has control over things, and which ideally never will die, will always be young, and so forth. When we come to the body, 
This illusion is kept alive. It, uh, the materials of the body provide a rich field to create this sense of me and mine. We know this one really well. Just think about all that we do in regard to this body. I don't know, but it, it's a good chance that uh, the major business of the world has to do with the body. All the different products to clean it, to oil it, to feed it, to dress it, cosmeticize it, beautify it in many ways. There's so many things. We spend a lot of time taking care of this body. And it has consequences. It's not simply that we're keeping a body, let's say, healthy and presentable. That is, we give it adequate food, rest, water, and so forth, so that it, it can be healthy, and that we dress it so that it can keep warm or be cool when it's hot, but rather we make a me out of it. Or we, some of the materials for creating this sense of being a self have everything to do with the body. How tall the body is, how short it is, how old it is, how heavy or not it is, how young it is, the shape of the body, the shape of the face, whether it's strong or weak. It's really quite endless. The color of the skin, the color of the hair, the kind of hair, is the hair straight or is it curly? Is it long or is it short? And then the endless proliferation of different kinds of shoes and outfits. We spend a lot of time on the body and it's not just the minimum for caring for it. Obviously, there's a lot at stake. Every time a little hair falls out, you move towards baldness. It's a major crisis in that moment. Suddenly, some of the TV ads start to sound interesting. Whereas before, we used to mock them for years and feel above it. And if you go into some of the health food stores, as you all know now, they're just endless products to rub into the body, different ointments and creams and oils, and salves and lotions and potions. <laughs> they're all made with ginseng or oh, whatever the current myth is. Now, I guess the next one is oat bran. Now I saw oat brand soap. I don't know if there's oat brand shampoo yet, but probably there will be. Why? Because we buy it. Because we hear something about it. Oh, yeah. And just think of how much time we spend assembling ourselves, let's say in the morning, or even here on a retreat, which is very simple. Putting together the right outfit, color, you know, color coordinated and... <laughs> This day, and what's the appropriate, this color won't help me today, I need different. <laughs> the amount of time in front of mirrors, whole lifetimes in front of mirrors, small mirrors, portable mirrors, traveling mirrors, big mirrors. 
But we don't, what we don't apply a whole lot of to the body is wisdom, which is what it really needs. See, there's nothing wrong with using some of these products. Some of them, I'm not saying that they're all a fake or anything of the sort. Um, and it's sensible to take good care of your body. And there's nothing wrong with being attractive. You know, be presentable, clean, attractive. Suffering doesn't come from that. The suffering comes from the fact that we get attached to it. We make a self out of it. Me and mine. And then we're on the line. Everything we're doing is has consequences in the eyes of other people, or at least as we see it. And as the body ages, again, it's a, a frequent... Uh, refrain that you hear in Buddhism that the the body is born, it gets old, it gets sick and it dies. That's a natural fact in and of itself. That's not necessarily torment. That is, the the body definitely does that. Bodies get sick, they get old and they do die. The problem is it then becomes that I am getting sick, I am getting old, or I am sick and I will die. So the problem of, is no longer the, the body getting old, it's me getting old. It's no longer the body starting to go through a natural process, but it's me that's going through this natural process. Um, I think the essence of it is something like this, and if we, we can understand this, we can apply it to, to the remaining khandhas. Uh A while back, someone came to the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center and got very upset uh, about a phrase that was uh, mentioned, which was that the Buddha taught mainly one thing, suffering and the end of suffering. And this person was very new, which basically had just walked in, you know, into the meditation hall and didn't really know fully what this was all about and came up really upset. Was, how can you say that? How could the Buddha say that what this teaching is about is... Uh, suffering and the end of suffering. How can there be an end to suffering? It just makes no sense. And she was right. But it's a misunderstanding. And I think what we have to do to understand this uh, statement in this sutta is to understand the difference between normal, ordinary, let's say human pain, discomfort, and even suffering, which no one escapes. The Buddha obviously died had dysentery and so forth, got sick, got old. All these things. Uh, If you stick the Buddha with a pin, he'll bleed just as we will. But what it's getting at is that although there's, there's a normal kind of pain in the world that no one escapes, there's something else that's manufactured in the mind and that we can call torment. And that's the distinctive meaning of dukkha. And what the Buddha is saying and so many of the teachings is under no conditions attached to anything whatsoever as being me or mine, as being me or mine. Because to attach to something, as soon as the I is born, suffering is born. Torment is what I'm uh, using here. So there's a difference between the ordinary discomfort and pain, which of course we have. But once, so that the body does get sick, let me give you an example from my own practice. Um, there's a, a style of teaching um, 
at a monastery in Thailand, Wat Pa Ban Thad, that Karato and I have trained at. And it's in the Thai forest tradition. And they work with, when you get sick, they really uh, very strongly encourage you to practice, use your sickness as practice. Whereas you don't really get coddled. They're very, they are loving and they give you what medicines they have. And then you get a teaching which goes something like this. Uh, when I first arrived there, uh, it was a kind of a total catastrophe. Uh, within about two days, a tooth broke in half. I had dysentery. I was throwing up and I had fever. And other than that, I was supposed to meditate, sit and walk. (laughs) Also, uh, the forest monastery turns out to really be a jungle monastery. It's not a forest. It's not a forest at all. I wouldn't want to have a picnic where I was sitting. You're constantly, you know, wondering what's what's next to you, your companions. Um, The suggestion that was made was to focus right in on the illness and to to see it as the play of the five khandhas, to understand uh, that the body uh, was doing what it was doing the nausea or the, uh, the, the heat or whatever it was, whatever the particular physiological signs were. Uh, and in separating out that from that in us, which then makes it me. In other words, it's not simply that uh, the body is feverish, but I am feverish. My tooth just broke in half. I have, dysenter- I have dysentery. And... The throwing up I just did, I did it. (laughs) The practice can enable us to let go of that which is extra. And it's quite extraordinary if you're willing to do it. I mean, I had no choice. Uh, And the teaching is... is, uh, there's a concerted effort to help you go in that direction. Uh, what happened was there were sometimes, uh, believe it or not, there were moments extended, you know, I don't know if it was hours or what, where what was going on, waking up in the middle of the night and, th- and going off into the jungle to throw up rather than where in the kuti or the meditation hut I was living in. And yet there was real peace and happiness somehow surrounding it. I'd never had that experience before. I didn't get lost in the sickness. It was limited. The body was going through something. But it is possible for the mind to be clear while that's happening. And that comes about through us understanding this. Now, once the mind appropriates what's happening, that if the mind appropriates the fever or the broken tooth and it becomes mine, then there's big trouble. I mean, everything escalates. This is happening to me. Now, even though we keep hearing over and over again that this me that it's happening to doesn't exist, uh, because we completely uh, think it does, or as we, cont- we create, it's so convincing, there is torment. Now, I, there was strong physical pain in the kinds of illness that I had, but there's really a difference between that and torment. Once the mind gets in on it, it's torment. Once it becomes my sickness then whatever the pain was, was true. I'm not saying it didn't happen or that it was psychosomatic. It might have been, but it was really, I felt it. But if you can see through 
the tendency of the mind to identify with what's happening to rupa, to the body, and make it into me, then you liberate yourself from at least some of that, a good part of it. It's not torment anymore. None of us would want to have those physical sensations, willingly. But if they come, and if you can (coughs) apply the practice, focus right in on it, it becomes possible to at least weaken that sense that this is happening to me. And mainly that comes about when you see how you do that. You see selfing happen, mindfulness comes to it, and it's as if the, a lot of the energy is taken out of it, the starch is taken out of it. And then you're left with simply the bodily condition. What is being said here is that the body has to go through certain natural cycles. And there are many things that are just natural. People in a, die in our life. And of course, there's a mourning for the person. But what the Buddha is saying is that's natural to mourn. Once it becomes, I am mourning, or as once we attach to that, it becomes more than that life process, more than life expressing itself in a natural way. Once we then create torment about whatever it is. Now, the aging process, it's, it's all the same. That is, If there's a strong identification with the body, every little thing that happens to us as our energy starts to drop, as the hearing falls away a little bit, as our vision starts to deteriorate, as the hair turns to gray, as there's certain things that we can't do, it's not simply something that's happening to our body, but it's something that's happening to the me. And then we enter into torment and then the feverish attempt to reverse it you know, to camouflage it or deny it or escape the implications of it. And so when we do that with the body, that's what is called being swept away by the present. That is, in this present moment, what's happening to us, we're lost in it and we're lost in the bodily component. Uh, The most striking example that I can think of one of the most um, is somebody who was in our practice community some years ago. Um, it was a woman who, uh, a very attractive woman, an intelligent person, kind, who had one arm. And she had one arm from birth. Uh, the identification, that descriptively what's, what it is, is that we, most of us have two arms. This person had one arm. Uh, the attachment to that situation was so powerful that every other virtue that this person had was overwhelmed by this this fact. This sense, and of course it's not simply the person doing it to themselves, we all do it to each other. Because we're all concerned about our own me and mine and we're, we're doing it to each other. So of course people had looked at her in a certain way, probably from childhood on, However, it came to be uh, a ferocious concentration of energy all around that one characteristic, totally coloring the person's life, minimizing all kinds of wonderful qualities, resulting in a severely depressed person. Now, this is close to home. It's not uh, something that's 
far away at all. It has to do with the fact that you know what you're doing with this body that's causing you unnecessary, uh, that's causing torment. Maybe torment's too strong a word for it sometime. But the possibilities of releasing ourselves from that are really there and they're in the practice and they come out of this simple breathing and knowing, breathing and mindfulness, looking at it. But you have to look and you have to see how the mind is doing this. Again, uh, whatever is happening, no one is going to prefer to be sick, to be healthy, probably. But once sickness comes, it can be a wonderful opportunity to practice, to begin to see how the mind uh, concocts, how the mind concocts a story. Okay, when we get to Vedana feelings, it's similar. All of these are similar. Uh, feelings come and go. We have pleasant feelings, we have unpleasant feelings, we have neutral feelings. We get very identified with our feelings and we make a self out of it. If, there's a, if the feeling is an unpleasant one, then we make, I am unhappy right now. That is the feeling. Let me um, work through this one in a kind of typical way. Let's say a certain kind of unpleasant feeling comes up. That's Vedana. That's what is called feeling in this scheme. Uh, Sanya, which is perception, then will make a a note of it. It will label it as something. Whatever it labels it, it isn't the feeling itself. It labels it as something. Now, once the feeling gets labeled, we're off and running. We have big trouble. Uh, Sanya is something like this. It's constantly labeling things as this and that. Now, the things are not what those labels are. Or as the labels are rather crude superimpositions on what's happening. Moreover, once we label something as something, it, if it's strong, it goes into memory and comes out many, many times. And so we, we just know everything. You know, once we label someone as being such and such, that's it. They're taken care of. They don't lend you $5 one time. Ah, cheaps are cheap. You know, right? And for the rest of their life, that's what they are. Because that is what their label is. Well, we do it on much bigger scales. In other words, we, we make Russians and Americans and Arabs and Jews, and we're doing it to each other all over. Now, these mental notes, these labels, pour out of the mind and they, they describe, they give us some information. So they're essential to life. I'm not saying we can't do away with them, but the problem is we get attached to them. And we don't understand that a label isn't the thing. It isn't it. What we name something isn't what it is. And if we get attached to the, to the label, and in this case, particularly the attachment means that me and mine gets associated with it, we have big trouble. For example, let's say you have the raw sensation in your body, which we call, I have to use a word, P-A-I-N. That's just the label. It's just what it is. What's happening in the body is just what it is. Let's say your knee, in quotes, because that's another one, is, in quotes, in pain. There's, in quotes, a cutting sensation. Okay. The sensation, the isness of it, is just what it is. 
Now, just a simple label, this is not a, a very complicated, a simple label, I, as soon as we label it pain, it's already, we're, we're going, because pain doesn't have a very good press. <laughs> okay, so that what uh, Sanya does, it tells us what it is. Now, if there's an identification with it, then it becomes my pain. Try it the next time your body hurts in the practice. And that's one way to investigate. You kind of sort out the differences between the five khandhas. And you're able to tell, oh, this is the body. And the body didn't hurt. Let's say what we call knee. It didn't hurt. Oh, now it's starting to hurt. Kind of painful sensations, feelings. And then suddenly it gets labeled something. And then if the mind, you can pick this up. You can hear the mind calling it, oh, this is my knee which hurts. My pain, my knee. Suddenly you have a problem. You have torment. Because it's happening to the most important person in the whole universe. <laughs> the one person that the whole universe was created for. <laughs> if you see that and can let go of it, then what, what you have is there's still pain. This is not a kind of Hollywood ending. And this, this uh, person who didn't understand, who said, well, what did the Buddha mean? The Buddha wasn't saying there was no pain. He was saying what it was possible was to empty life of the five khandhas, or to empty life of torment. So that what you have is just the natural feeling of pain in the knee, but when it's not identified with, when it's not made into self, then what you have is just that and not... Uh, torment. Um, Sanya is very important to understand. It's uh, in addition to labeling things. We need it very much for civilized life. We have to make these considerations and be be able to regard things as being this and that. Uh, One of its, the most devastating label in Sanya is of course the label of me and mine itself or your name. Now, the way in which Sanya and Sankara, Sankara mental formations, the way they work together is very important because that's a lot of the trouble comes there. And in meditation practice, you can begin to see that and really see through it. Um, Typically what happens very often is Sanya or perception will name something as something. And even the names, you're already into attachment. Most names just about have attachment built into it because the, the, the labels aren't neutral. Just as pain is already, you're already off and running. The names we have for different groups of people, for different, almost anything. As soon as you have a name, there's already something about it and we get attached to the name. Okay, but once the name comes up, once we label something as something, then Sankara's job or mental formation's job is to concoct a story about it, which it loves to do. It it comes in and it fashions and creates whatever it wants to. It has carte blanche. It can just say whatever it wants to. It's shameless, totally. (laughs) Technically, in in Buddhist psychology, it's called papancha or proliferation. So that, for example, that very, let's say it's a simple unpleasant sensation in in the knee, which then gets labeled, this is painful. And then 
That's sanya, that's the label that was made for it. And then sankara comes in and has complete poetic rights. It can just make up whatever poetic license. It can just say whatever it wants to. Oh my God, the pain that's coming here. Uh, why don't why doesn't somebody ring the bell? What what are they uh, what, why, why do they encourage us to sit through it? I don't understand the meaning of that at all. Uh, gangrene's gonna set and I know it. Uh, okay. It really there's no limit to it. It can just go on and on. And then often they play together. It's quite cute if you see it. Because uh, Sanya will label something as something, then Sankara will make up a story about it, then Sanya will jump on top and label the story as signifying something. And then Sanya will come back, you know, and add more to it. And before you know it, you come in for a, an, a, an emergency interview, you know, at two in the morning. <laughs> and there's, there's nothing much happening, nothing special. Just let it come and go, it's just the way it is. But at the moment, when we make self out of it, that is the concoctions, it's my gangrene that came out of my knee and my pain. We have sorrow in that moment. It's not, and so the, the, um, the liberation comes in seeing through that, in not doing that, in not making self out of it. And the same with consciousness. Consciousness has to do with, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm smelling, I'm feeling, I'm thinking. Now, if you put it all together, as I have to because we have group interviews, <laughs> just a condition to help me be more concise, it's good. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd have to suffer through another hour of this stuff. In a nutshell, uh, the heart of what the, the Buddha is saying here, and I think this is really distinctive of understanding Buddhism or Dharma, is that the five khandhas in and of themselves are not the problem. It's just, it's part, it's life. It's a natural process. We have a mind and body that unfolds in a lawful way. And sometimes it's joyful and miraculous and extraordinary, and other times it's, there's pain. We go through all the oscillations. What the, the practice has to do is, is cleaning torment, cleaning torment out of the five khandhas. In other words, emptying the five khandhas of torment. And that has to do with attachment. Upadana, a very important Pali word to understand. It means the grasping on to any of these khandhas as being me or mine. Any of these five or all of them. Grasping on to it, attaching to it as being a self. And once that happens, then we have torment. And so it's not that uh, life is just this unrelieved nightmare. And, you know, some of the caricatures of Theravadan Buddhism, you know, it's just sort of like, well, the whole point is just not to be born at all. And, you know, get off the wheel. Where are you going to get off to? Where are you going to go to? <laughs> I mean, sort of leave the uh, step out of life or something. Um, it's to, it's to let go of torment. What the Buddha was talking about in terms of suffering and the end of suffering was unnecessary suffering. And that is not uh, outrageous. That's intelligent. And that is something that is attainable to varying degrees from all of us. And it comes 
you know, when you're under the influence of ignorance, it's like being under the influence of alcohol. It's the same thing. You're not clear. You don't see. And wisdom is seeing. It's seeing clearly. And it's through our practice, through <clears throat> all the things we're learning, the various kinds of ways to develop mindfulness and discernment and so forth, calming the mind, etc. It's all to um, empty the five khandhas of, of torment, that unnecessary component that we add to it because of our own lack of understanding. Now, this, uh, when this is under control, then we're living in the present moment. These, when we're swept away by the present or the past or the future, obviously we're not in the present moment in the way in which the Buddha means it. And I, I'm pretty sure all of us have experienced at least a few moments during this retreat when you've been doing something, anything, and you've just been doing it, <clears throat> just doing it, perhaps breathing and doing it, and it's, it's joyful. You feel more fully alive. Those of you who want enlightenment, where do you think enlightenment comes from? It comes from a deep penetration into now. There's only now. And so all of the torment, all of the wonderful things, it all comes in this present moment in our, in our mind and body. No place else. We can't, you can go to Asia. There's a lot to be learned, but you just bring yourself with you when you go there. You just be there again. There you are again, as Buckaroo Banzai put it. <laughs> this is really esoteric. Huh? <laughs> There's a very bad movie called Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> or something or other. He, is, that, is that the name of it? The third dimension. I don't know. But uh, there was one line, I, I was bowled over by it. <laughs> At one point he says, I was getting ready to walk out. And then he said, no matter where you go, there you are again. <laughs> So in deference to old Buckaroo Banzai, <laughs> our practice is to make that where we are really more fully alive, more joyful, so that we're more real. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.